Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know me, my name is Barry Schmidt, and I'm on the board here. Um, just to tell you a little bit about myself and my family, <clears throat> I'm a thanks. I'm a, a, a painter by trade, and um, I've been doing that for 45 years, and my body feels it every bit of it, and I'm just about pretty close to retiring from that. Um, <clears throat> I've married to my wife, Donna, for 37 years on December 29th, and uh, we have five children, two daughters, two sons-in-law, and a granddaughter, and uh, I just have always have to say that, uh, and those of you who are grandparents know this, that uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed every, every minute of raising our raising our children, but grandparenting, it just kicks it up to a whole new level, doesn't it? And uh, how many of you know that, that, uh, that grandchildren are the only humans born without original sin? <laughs> and those of you who are grandparents, you know that, right? Yeah. So uh, today, as Rod mentioned, we are beginning the new series of messages that highlight uh, the 12 one another commands in the New Testament, 12 of them. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord has fallen to me to kick off the series with the teaching on the New Testament command to love one another. And uh, so what we want to do is to start with is if we could get Bobby to throw those uh, verses up on the... Uh, yeah, thank you, Bobby. And what I would like us to do is just an honor and uh, reverence for the Word of God. Let's all stand together. And we're going to read together in unison. I know that for some of you, that may be a new thing. For those of you who are ancient of days like me, we used to do that all the time, didn't we? Read out loud. So what we're going to do is we don't, we're just going to skip through the, um, the references, but we're going, to, we're going to read together out loud the, uh, the scriptures. And just to really, uh, we want to hear ourselves saying this, and uh, we want to really get a handle on this. So, so let's just, pre- uh, let's just uh, begin by uh, together. So a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For this is the message to you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Beloved, let us love one another for God, love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now concerning brotherly love, I have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God 
to love one another. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Yeah, there you go. So let's pray together before we sit down. And I'm going to just pray a prayer in Colossians chapter 1 for us. Father, I pray that you would fill us today with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order that we may bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God and be strengthened with all power, having great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So John says here, by the way, I am, uh, I'm going to ask you for some grace this morning. I'm going to rely heavily on my notes. And uh, with the Lord's help, uh, I would just ask that you would bear with me in that. I know it's difficult sometimes to follow when someone's reading their notes, but I'm just going to ask you for grace for that. So that, uh, because there's so many details that I want to give and uh, biblical details and, and theological ideas that uh, I just want to make sure that I stick with my notes. So yeah, just bear with me in that. So Jonah says, basically, he says, I, I'm not writing you a new command but an old command that you've had from the beginning. And you all know this command. You've heard this command from the beginning. And this is the command that you should love one another. Now, we've all heard this command, haven't we? We all know this command. Like, we all agree with this command. I don't think there's anyone here saying, well, you know, I don't agree with that, right? If you're a Christian, you know that this command is in the scripture and that, you know, it's, it's, it's there. You can't deny it. And as you've seen, as we've read, together this morning, how many times this is repeated in the New Testament. So, but why is it then, I guess I want to ask the question, so, so what's the problem then? <laughs> what's the problem then? Why is it that we struggle in our relationships so much when we know this, when it's so clear to us? Why is it that, uh, you know, other things so easily usurp and undermine our love for one another in our own marriages and in our families and in our church relationships. Why is it that so often other things in the Lord's church usurp and replace and take priority over this command to love one another? Why do we so easily neglect or relinquish this command when it comes to doing church? Why is getting things done and achieving ministry and mission goals uh, why does that so often involve running roughshod over the command to love one another? Why is it so prevalent in the Lord's church that the good things like personal pietism and devotions and prayer and Bible study and church meetings and methodologies and the church party line and our denominational loyalties, why do all these things so often take the front seat and yet our relationships with each other in love, tend to take the back seat. Why is that? Why is it that in the, in the Lord's church, we are, we are often really good at committing ourselves to achievement and accomplishments? We're good together, working together, aren't we, at doing stuff, at building buildings, paying for buildings, at uh, doing you know, missions projects together, and we're good at, at achievement and, and accomplishment, but, you know, we're often not so great at committing ourselves to lifelong loving relationships with each other. And um, so why is it that we, we will so readily abandon and reject each other 
and the command to love one another as Christ loves us over stuff that will be like a blip on the screen in the light of eternity when we're together for eternity. Why is it that we'll separate ourselves over things like money and methodologies and masks and vaccinations and stuff like that? Okay, I'm meddling now. But we do it, don't we? It's a valid question. How is it that we are willing to separate our relationships, our love relationships, over things that in the light of eternity are just going to be like a blip on the screen? How can we as a GPAC church body not just give lip service to this command to love one another, but to actually embrace it and obey it? Isn't that the $64 question? And uh, I believe the Lord has given us the answer to that in the scriptures. And, and so this morning, in keeping with that, I've, I basically entitled the message today, How to Obey the Commandment to Love One Another. Now, isn't that a creative and powerful, uh, just such a creative, you know, uh, title? How to, obey, how to Obey the Commandment to Love One Another. Pretty basic. But uh, this is what I believe the Lord wants us to speak into. And I believe the Lord has given us the answer to that in the Bible. How do, how do we actually obey the commandment to, to love one another? So that we, and I believe that there are three fundamental gospel truths that we need to believe and accept in order to, that will motivate us and empower us to actually do this thing, to actually love each other as Christ loved the church and as Christ loves us. And so um, basically the first gospel truth that I want to lay out before you that I believe will motivate and empower us uh, like few other things to love each other is that we need to realize that the main goal of our salvation is love. The main goal of our salvation is love. The main goal of our discipleship process is love. And Bobby, could you put that up on the screen, that passage on uh, 1 Timothy for me? So Paul says the aim of our charge in some translations says the goal of our instruction or the aim of what we do, the aim of what everything we're doing here, Paul says, the everything that God has charged us to do is love. See, the final, the final thing, that's the main thing. Somebody said the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And Paul says the main thing of everything that we do is love that, it, that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And we'll unpack that a little bit later. But I want you to see, first of all, that love for the apostles, the goal of discipleship is love. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you obey my commands. And if you, this is my command, that you love one another. And so when we read or teach or study or learn or sit under the instruction of God's word, the goal for that is love. Love must not only be the goal of our discipleship training, but love must be an integral part of our entire theological framework. A.W. Tozer said, no one can live better than their theology. And I absolutely have come to believe that. And so we, we won't love each other, love one another as we ought to, until we have a thorough and adequate theology of the love commandment. 
And so what I want to do is take a few minutes, next 10 minutes or so, and just let to run through all the things you know about God and theology, uh, that all of you, you know, know this is basic theology 101, and, and show you how love is at the very center of them all. That love is an integral part of, our, of, of biblical theology. See, we need to realize that loving one another is not only the main goal of all of our instruction and that we, that we need to give and receive from one another, but that we need to realize that love is the main goal of our salvation. Paul says, now these three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is Love, yes, of course. Paul says, if I don't have love, I have nothing and I am nothing. Someone has said, uh, so God's word tells us that love is the main thing. Paul says, love is the goal of everything I teach and preach. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment in the Torah, the Old Testament Bible, is to love God and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, this sums up the, the law and the prophets. Jesus said, this sums up the entire Bible, is love. If you want to sum up this book, it's about love. Love is at the center of it, you see. And uh, the Apostle John, or I'm sorry, in the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul that love is the fulfillment of the law. Now track with me here for a minute. Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law. And the Apostle John in 1 John, you can read that for yourself on your own, he says that that, that, that sin is lawlessness, that all lawlessness is sin. So if love is the fulfillment of the law and sin is lawlessness, what does that tell us? That tells us that sin is a lack of love. That is a theological framework that you can bank on. That's what sin is. You see, that means that God defines sin as a lack of love. Sin is a failure to love. See, we have this sort of this theological notion about sin. We don't understand that sin has everything to do with our relationships. It has everything to do with a lack of love. That's what sin is. And so the opposite of love is sin. The polar opposite of, of love is not hatred. It is not indifference. It's not apathy. The polar opposite of love is sin. The Bible says that Jesus came to take away our sin. So this means that Jesus came to take away our lack of love for one another. This is why Jesus came, my friends. Jesus came to take away your lack of love, our lack of love. That's the purpose of his redemption. The end of his redemption is that we would love him and love each other. That's the goal of our instruction. That's the goal of our salvation. Salvation is entering into a lifelong, committed, grace-based love relationships with God and each other. That's what salvation is, you see. And so Jesus came to save us from our sins means that he came to save us from our stubborn refusal and our inability to love each other. The main purpose and goal and end of our salvation is love. Salvation to Jesus and the apostles, I've said this before, but I want to repeat it. 
Men entering into lifelong, holy, loving relationships with God and each other. Salvation in modern times has been radically redefined to mean personal and individual spiritual empowerment. Come to Jesus and be empowered. Come to Jesus and be healed. Come to Jesus and be spiritually empowered. Come to Jesus and live your best life now. So when the... So, and, and many of us have signed on to this radical redefinition of salvation. So that with that, what happens is, then our view of the church absolutely is radically redefined as well. And so, be, instead of salvation being loving, grace-based, lifelong relationships with God and each other in the church... The church relationships then in this ra- new like radical redefinition of salvation, the, the church relationships become an expedient to something else. Let me, let, let me unpack that for you. So then in our minds, what happens is that um, the purpose of the church is to help me and my family reach my spiritual goals. So the church is an expedient The church isn't the end. But Jesus wants us to know, friends, your relationships with one another is the end. It's not just a means to an end. We like this idea of the alliance, right? (laughs) The alliance. It means that we'll get together to accomplish a mission. No, Jesus said, I want you, I put you together. That's it. That's the end. That's your salvation. Is your relationships with each other and with me, your love relationships. And so when, when the church fails to provide us with, the, uh, with this new idea that the church is not the end, but the means to the end, here's what happens. So when the church fails to provide us with that help to achieve our personal spiritual goals, we abandon our church relationships and shop for another church that will help me and my family achieve its spiritual goals. Hello? When I was a child, people used to ask, what church do you belong to? Nowadays, people ask, what church do you attend? Do you see the enormous paradigm shift that has happened that we ask that question? This shows we see the church as an expedient to meet our own spiritual goals, not as it really is the goal and end of our salvation. We say we attend a church. We no longer say we belong to the church. This is all wrong, friends. This is an enormous paradigm shift that we need to get back into the Bible and into the the basics of of what, what what church is all about. Church isn't about what we do together. It isn't an expedient. It isn't a means to accomplish some spiritual goals that we have. Church is the end. This is it, folks. This is your salvation, your relationships in the church. See? And so salvation to Jesus and the apostles means entering into lifelong grace-based loving relationships with God and his church. Our lifelong grace-based love relationships with each other is the goal of biblical salvation. When we get this, we will live and die with and for our church family, the church family that God has placed us in. When we grasp what I'm saying here, we will cease to be spiritual consumers 
who merely attend church, but will become lifelong members who belong to the church. Jesus came to save us from sin. Sin is a lack of love. Sin is a failure to love. Sin is a refusal to love Jesus, to love. So Jesus came to save us from not loving each other. So you see, this is why he, Jesus came to bring us into relationship with one another. And that's the main thing. That's the main thing that God is doing. So we need to have this, this biblical uh, ecclesiology, or this, this idea, this, the theology of church, and understand that church is the end of our salvation. Church is the goal. Our relationships with one another is the goal. That's what God is after. He's trying to connect us with one another in love. You see? And so, to be filled with, with God and to be filled with the Spirit and to, be, and to be mature is to love. See? To be filled with God is to be filled with love. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with love. Biblical discipleship, then, is all about learning to love like Jesus loves us. The measure of our obedience to Jesus is the measure of our love. The fruit of abiding in Jesus is one thing and one thing only, that you love one another. The measure of our purity and our holiness is the measure of our love. The measure of our Christ-likeness and our godliness is the measure of our love. The measure of our progress towards personal sanctification is the measure of our growth and love. The measure of our love for God is never greater than the measure of our love for one another. Biblical repentance from sin is when we turn from our selfish refusal to love each other and we begin to love one another as God commands us to love. Biblical conviction of sin is not merely coming to recognize the personal cost of our sin to ourselves. Biblical conviction of sin occurs when God, the Holy Spirit, shows us the cost of our sin to each other. When we really repent, when I really repent and when I really come under the true conviction of the Spirit of God and not some counterfeit religious spirit who just makes me aware of my sin, makes me feel guilty and it's all about me. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of a sin, I realize what my sin has cost my wife, my husband, my children, my father, my pastor, my co-workers. You see? That's biblical conviction and repent. And when I repent, I stop being unloving toward them. And I begin to love them, you see? That is repentance. Because love is a lack of love, we don't battle sin with pietism. We battle our sin with love. Our battle with sin is a battle against a lack of love. Our struggle against sin is a struggle against a lack of love. When we get saved, it's like we're placed in a boxing ring with the, with the, in the fight of our lives against sin. And by the grace of God, we either beat sin back with love or sin beats us back from our love. Sin is a lack of love, friends. Just uh, get, that, get that in your theological noggin. And so heaven is heaven because there will be no lack of love there. It's a place of perfect love. 
There's no sin in heaven. We all know that. Why? What does that, what, what does that mean? It means there's no lack of love there. And so our salvation and everything that God has for us in the Christian life is planned out in such a way. Every relationship he has put us into, every in the church, it's all a workshop in order to enable us to move towards the goal of our salvation, which is love. Isn't that amazing? Are you tracking with me? God's glory is his love. I don't have time to go that, prove that through the scripture. And so the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What, what does that say? That's saying we've sinned and fall short of God's love. That's what our sin is. It's a lack of love. And so I just want, you, want us to, I'd like you to read your Bibles again and, 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 and just ask yourself the question, What's, God, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Got to do with it. We need to have a theology where love is integral to our theology. Otherwise, we don't have a biblical theology. You see? And so, when, here's, the, here's the kicker. We will be motivated to love one another when we finally realize and accept and believe that love is the goal of our salvation. Until then, love is just one of the things you do. We do. No, love is the only thing we do. There is nothing else, friends. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, second, the second gospel truth that will motivate and empower us to love each other is that we must believe that all of our sins have already been forgiven. Jesus taught this explosively powerful life principle. He said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Listen to what Jesus is telling us here. The measure that we realize and accept the fact that all of our sins are already forgiven will be the measure of our love for God and each other. Here is the life principle. The knowledge of the forgiveness of our sins produces love in our hearts. This is why Jesus calls and commissions us to preach the forgiveness of sins. Paul says this is the ambassadorial message from heaven that reconciles us to God, producing love in our hearts for God and each other. God is not counting our sins against us. The, knowledge, the more we recognize that our sins are forgiven, the more we will love. That's the way our hearts are created, you see? And so Jesus, <clears throat> David says the same thing. How blessed is the man who, who sinned the Lord will never count against him. The crowning prom promise of the new covenant is I will remember your sins no more. And why is that? Why, is the new why did the new covenant not work? Because there was no room for forgiveness in there. Why does the new covenant work to cause us to fulfill the law and love each other? Because at the heart of it is our own forgiveness. And here's the life principle again. He who, love, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. You see, we lack love for each other 
because we're not humbling ourselves to receive the basic fundamental promises of the gospel that says that our sins are forgiven, all of them. How many of your, how many, how many, how many of your sins were on Jesus when he died? Yeah, all of them. Your past sins are forgiven in Jesus. Your present sins, you know, the ones that you sinned this morning while you were getting ready for church. Your future sins, they're all forgiven. Blanket forgiveness produces blanket love. The measure of our love will never exceed the measure that we have accepted and humble ourselves and believe the promise of the gospel that our sins are forgiven. And so... This is why at least 20 times in the, in the New Testament uh, declares in no uncertain times that God has forgiven us all of our sins in Jesus Christ. He's already forgiven our past, present, and future sins. And until we humble our own pride and accept this gospel promise, our hearts will be obsessed and weighed down with the guilt of our sins and with the shame of our sins and with the fear and anxiety that our sins produce and with the remorse over our sins. And our thoughts will remain preoccupied with our sins, leaving little or no room in our hearts and minds left to love. And until we have gotten over the burden of our sins, we will not and we cannot be freed to love each other. He who has been forgiven much loves much. You see, beloved, we don't need more power, more prayers, more pietism, or more anointing to love each other. We simply need to accept the simple gospel promise and reality that our sins have been forgiven. As long as our focus is upon our sin, we cannot be focused upon loving each other. To focus upon our sin is to focus upon ourselves And as long as we maintain self-focused, we cannot and we will not love each other. When we finally realize and humbly accept the gospel promise that all of our sins have been forgiven, resolved and absolved, our hearts will then be free from the burden of our sins and we will be released to love each other fully. He who has been forgiven much loves much. How can we love each other when we're still not over our sins? You see, what don't we understand about it is finished. And I want to tell you this, friends. In order to have your sins forgiven, all of them, you don't need to do or say anything. You don't need to take any steps. You don't need to jump through any hoops. Your sins are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how your sins are forgiven. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus, the Bible says, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, all of them. The Bible says that, God, that Christ removed the certificate of debt that stood opposed to us and was against us. Well, what's it against? It's against you loving people because as long as you're carrying the weight or the burden of even one sin, you will not love people. You cannot You see that? So gospel truth number one is that we will be motivated and empowered to love one another when we realize that love is the main goal of our discipleship and our salvation. And gospel truth number two that will motivate is that we will be motivated and empowered to love one another when we realize and accept that all our sins are forgiven. 
Friends, your flesh and my flesh do not want to hear that you're forgiven. Your flesh and my flesh wants to do something to be forgiven, wants to have a part in it, wants to jump through some hoops, wants to feel some remorse, wants to have some action in it. But friends, that's just your flesh that does not want to submit to the truth of God. We need to humble ourselves and deny ourselves in order to accept the complete and total forgiveness of our sins. The greatest sin is the sin of our pride that keeps us from accepting this basic and fundamental gospel promise. And when we accept it, to the measure that we accept it, it's a process, I get it. When we accept the forgiveness of our sins, to the measure that we accept it will be the measure that our hearts are released and freed from the burden of our sin, and then we are free to love each other the way God wants us to love. Okay, you get it? So what's the third gospel truth that will motivate us to love each other? And that's simply this very powerful truth here. Don't miss it. We will be motivated and empowered to love each other for when we resolve to see Jesus Christ in each other. Jesus taught that whatever you do to the least of his brothers, that you do to him. And whatever you fail to do for the least of his brothers, that you have failed to do for him. Jesus is not ashamed to completely identify himself with each one of us. Jesus taught that every believer, no matter who they, they are, enjoys an, this indivisible union with himself. In the same way he enjoys an indivisible union with the Father. To look at Jesus accurately is to see the Father in him. To look at each other accurately is to see Jesus in each other. In the narrative in the book of Acts, where Saul is persecuting the church, and Jesus asks Saul this question, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I used to read that, and I scratched my head, and I said, Jesus... Why are you asking Paul if, why he's persecuting you? He's persecuting the church. And Jesus said, yes. <laughs> yes, you are persecuting me, you see? And so um, in, in, to, to look at our fellow members of the church accurately is to look at Jesus. We need to realize and believe that how we treat or, re, or relate to any blood-bought member of the church is how we are treating and relating to Jesus. What we say to each other is what we are saying to, about Jesus. What we say, no, let me repeat that. What we are saying about each other is what we are saying about Jesus. What we are saying to each other and how we are saying it, we are saying it to Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling us. Paul said to the church in Corinth, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, from now on, we'll recognize no man according to the flesh. So we must resolve to see only Jesus when we relate to each other. We must resolve to not know and identify each other after the flesh. 
after, not to identify each other after our weaknesses and our failures and our natural born inclinations. But we must resolve to see each other, see Jesus in each other. Then we will have enough love for each other. You see, when you look at your, when you look at your spouse, when you look at your children, when you look at your fellow Christians, when you look at your leaders in the church, when you look at your pastors, what do you see? And I guarantee you, the measure which we fail to see Jesus, you will not love them. But the measure to which we see Jesus in them, and we resolve to see Jesus in them, is going to be the measure of reverence and respect and honor we give them. And so that's why, you see, are you tracking with me? Okay, good. (laughs) If when we look at, at our spouse in the Lord, our parents in the Lord, our siblings in the Lord, if when we look at our leaders in the Lord, if when we look at our brothers and sisters in the Lord, if all we see is who they are in the flesh, we will never love them as we ought. You know, Jesus, Tom, Tom, the disciple said to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said this to Thomas. He said, Thomas, have I been with you this long and you still don't know me? And I think sometimes I just wish the Lord would say that through one another. You know, when... when, when <laughs> When, when our, when, 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 when our uh, husband's wives, when, our, when your husband is, 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 is mistreating you in some way, talking down at you, treating you poorly, you know, just say this to him. Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? When, 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 when husbands, when your wives are, are, are disrespecting you, try this. Have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Jesus? Yeah. Jesus. The measure to which we see Jesus in each other and resolved to see nothing. Paul says, I have to be resolved for that. You have to resolve that. We determined not to see any man after the flesh. You see? And to the measure that we see Jesus in each other, we will love one another. That will motivate and empower us to love one another. So let me repeat. There's three gospel truths here that will motivate and empower you to love each other the way Jesus wants us to. Number one truth, we need to see that the goal of our salvation and the goal of of discipleship is love. It's the main thing. Number two, we need to see and accept and believe the fact that all of our sins are forgiven. And number three, we need to see Jesus in each other and resolve that, that that's all we're going to see. Okay. And if we believe those things, if we believe those gospel truths, it will produce, it will motivate us. You know, I'm not just telling you this in some, you know, theological classroom here. I'm, I'm telling you this because this is, this is what saved Donna's in my marriage. This is what saves our, saved my family, my children. This is what we've lived. This is what's, makes us what we are is these three truths and so I want to leave you with this there's really only one takeaway here there's only one action point 
repent and believe the good news. If you would like to have more love for one another, more love in your life for people, if you want to enjoy more of the love of God through your life, I would just like you to, we just need to take some kind of stand here. I just, let's take a stand. You want to stand up and if you want more love in your life, and, and, and we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, actually, a prayer from Ephesians chapter 3, which I think is just a powerful and awesome prayer. I know God will answer it because it's his own prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, for us all. I want this. I want more love in my life. I want love to be the main thing. I want to walk in the forgiveness of my sins every day, the knowledge of that. Don't you? I want to walk in being able to see Jesus in, in everyone in the church that I, that I connect with. Don't you? Let me pray this prayer over us, and I believe God's going to answer it. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, let's see. Here it is. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory the riches of his love, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted, now listen to this, you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you would be filled up to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now, here's the benediction that I want to leave you with. Now, him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your uh, bearing with the word of exhortation. If you're here today, you have any need at all. Jesus said, if you keep my command, this is my command, love one another, you'll abide in me. And if you do that, you can ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. The Lord is here to answer your prayers today because you've committed yourself to love. And so I'd like you to, if you have any prayer requests at all, you want prayer for anything at all, whatever it is, the Lord is here to answer. There's people here. Come up here. Pray with them. They'll, they'll, they'll pray with, together with you. Amen. God bless you. And go and do that. Go and do that. Amen.